Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Welcome back to the Curious Podcast. My name is Josh Peck and I'm your host and your name is Listener and that's what you do. Yeah, listen. Fuck, man. This morning, I lost something that my mom gave me yesterday, and it was a piece of paper because my mom kind of handles accounting, and it was an important piece of paper, and I fucking lost it. And I just did that thing where I just let it overtake me. And it, it look, it wasn't the end of the world. I didn't lose cash. It, it is replaceable, hopefully, and just like some annoyances. But I... I I did that thing where I just let it spin me out and granted like I love my kid who's the greatest ever but he's you know sprinting after me screaming at me and I'm trying to look around and I like I did that dad thing at one moment this morning where I looked at my wife and I was like can you please just please distract him for just thought please help me help me and she did because she's awesome and I felt like a just a just a dork fucking you know because how great my son is chasing after me and he's so awesome and he actually likes me and he won't trust me he won't i'm a disagreeable fucking curmudgeonly you know tough taskmaster of a dude i'm sure he and i will butt heads royally and i'm sensitive to top it all off so what a mix what a fun recipe what in a what a what an alchemy that's gonna make right for just i'm sure some emotional fireworks that are soon to come but nevertheless never the fucking less i i uh, you know i got through the day and uh shot a couple tiktoks so i think we can all say that's a win no right <laughs> am i alone really trying not to push you know trying not to push comedically i'm trying to ease it in take it easy let off the gas and just kind of relax into my gifts into my many gifts my edible arrangement of talents i was doing a podcast in my car today because i do stuff over the phone now because we are in a global shift of a pandemic with nikki glazer the comedian she's going to be on the pod in a couple weeks first of all what a what a what a lovely person and funny incredibly smart and just cool but fuck let me tell you should, uh, recording these podcasts in my car it's no great shakes uh, you know obviously you can't use air conditioning because it gets fucking hot and i'm dripping i run hot as it is i'm like uh you know i'm like a thoroughbred racehorse you know i'm in the cage ready to go what do they call that thing and i'm in the thing before they race it's uh nah, i don't know but you know what I'm talking about. I'm in that, ready to go, you know, heart pumping, legs stomping. So, you know, if I'm in a car without air conditioning for what could be 90 minutes, it's basically a sauna. And sweating feels good when it's controlled, but not when you're in your work clothes. Um, I mean, you haven't sweat till you sweat into a pair of chinos that you got on sale at, a, at an outlet mall. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, um, my brother told me I curse too much. I resent him for it, but he's good people. I don't know, people curse. He said it's the sign of a weak intellect. Um, you know what I say to that? <laughs> You're the sign of a weak intellect. I'm just kidding. I love you, bro. He's probably right. He's right about most things. You know what I'm right about? Who our guest is today? And that's Josh Altman, celebrity 
I don't want to say celebrity. He's he's a brilliant uh, real estate agent, prolific, has sold over $4 billion of real estate all over Los Angeles and the world. Um, you know, he'll be the first to tell you. <laughs> but he's also from the show Million Dollar Listing. And he's also what my people of the Jewish persuasion call a mensch. I really like this guy. He's true blue. He is uh, an animal, as he'll tell you. He uh, pulls out all the stops for his clients. And, and he's really incredible at what he does. And him and his brother have created a huge business. And uh, and I felt lucky that I got to interview him. And, and I just think he's a really smart guy when it comes to business and how to sell and the art of it all. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Here is Josh Altman. Josh, we're two Joshes. We're both of the Jewish persuasion. We're both obviously like we could be supermodels in Tel Aviv. <laughs> this goes without saying. <laughs> what? Where are you from? Boston. Boston. How long did you live there? My whole life till I went to uh, I went to school at Syracuse University. Mm. So I left when I was eighteen, and been out here since I graduated. What was your adolescence like? Pretty standard. <sighs> Yeah, pretty standard. Um, you know, I was an athlete, mm. uh, heavy, heavy soccer player, below average student, C's and C minuses and D's. I mean, if I got a B, there was a big celebration in the Altman household. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, summers on the Cape? No, summers at camp. Okay. An, an Jewish camp? No, it was like an athletic camp. Okay. Yeah, most people were probably Jewish, but... Uh, <laughs> Camp Manitou in Maine. That's where the Boston kids went. They went up to Maine. And uh, so it was all sports. But I had an older brother who basically paved the way for me, Matt, uh, who's my business partner now. So he was three years older. So everything he did, I would basically follow in his footsteps. Yeah. So he went to camp first. Then I went to that camp. Even And that even came up in L.A. So every internship he had and mailroom gig he had, I followed, got the same internships. Delivered the same mail in the same mailroom. What part of Mass? Newton. Newton. All yeah. right. So like, what, 30 minutes outside Boston? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What, Um. and I might be misremembering this, so forgive me, but I remember seeing on Million Dollar, are your parents therapists? <laughs> One of them? <laughs> so my dad is a sex expert, not a therapist. He used to be an OBGYN, he's a Harvard medical guy, mm. super smart. We always say that uh, Matt and I, we fell off the tree, but the tree was on a hill. Solid. So, yeah. So, we did fall far from our parents' tree. Uh, the two of us were really bad students. Oh, that's got to break his heart. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, he tried so hard, and right. we were just not – we just didn't click for us. Uh, so, now he gets a kick out of it because, you know, we're successful in real estate, something that's totally different than anything in our family. But, yeah, he was an OBGYN, and he writes books about sex – so he wrote a book called Making Love the Way We Used to, or Better, Secrets to Midlife Sexuality by Dr. Altman. Now, people ask me all the time, they go, have you read Have, have you read your dad's book? And I'm like, no, I haven't fucking read my dad's book. Why would I read that book? What if he's talking about my mom? Right. You know what I mean? He is. <laughs> right? I mean, we could venture to guess. I'm not, I, I have no interest. I that is so because you never want to look at your parent as a sexual being to begin with. Right. And then when it's like in black and white, it's hard to like yeah. trick yourself into believing they aren't. And my dad was the guy at every party where if you want to find my dad, you know, we're short. He's short. 
And uh, if you want to find my dad, you just look where all the women are crowded around, and my dad would be in the middle of that circle. Really? Yeah. The women love him because they, they go, Doc, I got I got a question for you. Uh, I'm having this issue or this issue. And I'm like, I, 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 they, they ask me, hey, has he ever dealt with it? I'm like, I, I'm, I'm a real estate agent, not, not a doctor. Don't <laughs> right. want to hear. Don't want to know. I got my own problems. You know what I mean? Do you know, do you want, just as an aside, do you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm? Of course. Did you see the newest episode where it's the son of a doctor? No, Did, not yet. Where uh, Larry has this doctor and then he winds up meeting with the son who's like 21 and Larry's got a bit of a rash and the son goes, oh, it looks like a dermatitis, eczemide. I'd prescribe you uh, some over-the-counter hydrocortisone. And he goes... Well, the fuck do you know? Like, and he's like, "What do you mean? What I'm the son of a doctor?" <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That just came out. I yeah. gotta watch it. So, um, we're yeah. I I love. I mean, I have friends that are doctors, and I am unfortunately that guy, which is like, I feel like. I've got an expert with me, so I'm going to bring up every little ache and pain that's going on. For I want, sure. Right? For sure. Always. Did anyone ever call in the middle of the night? Like, was he the guy that was on call? He was on call. He would leave at any hour of the night. To deliver all the a time. baby? Deliver babies. I mean, there would be my, me growing up. What I remember is his beeper going off. Nobody had cell phones. It was beepers. And mm. he was the first person ever to have a cell phone. Because that those were the first people, were the doctors. And then he was the first person to have a car phone. You know, the car Sick. cell phone? Yeah, that was pimp. James Bond style. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but he would he would run out at all times. I mean, he'd be at soccer practice. He'd be like, damn, I got to go. And would run. Is it when, a, when your father is a sex expert, or at the very least an OBGYN, is the conversation about the birds and the bees different? That's a, so this this interview has gone completely way in left field, which is funny because I don't usually talk about this. What building, but I like it. I like it because listen, I, my dad is the best. Yeah, and people who watch Million Dollar Listing, they I, I've been blessed in the parent department, and I'm trying to even be one tenth of what my parents were to me mm. to my children. But uh, my dad. Uh, what did you just ask me? Was when he told you about the birds and the bees, was oh, yeah. it like more in depth than you'd normally get? Let's put it this way. Growing up in my family, our dinner conversations, when yours was about math, mm. ours was about sex, which is half the reason why my brother and I are really screwed up right now. But that's what it was. So all the girls that we grew up with loved my mom. Because she worked in the fashion business. And uh, all the guys that grew up with loved my dad because he knew everything about sex. So uh, my friends would call my parents, sometimes without even me on the phone. Like, Dr. Altman, uh, I, don't, please don't tell my parents. I just had sex for the first time. No. I got a question for you. Uh, you know, I won't go more in depth than that. But uh, <laughs> is that Andrew on the phone? <laughs> it's not for you, Josh. It's not handling this. And uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's how it went down. So our dinner conversations were awesome. People were always over because mm. they were super interesting. And my dad's an academic. And so we got deep. That's Fascinating. Yeah, that didn't even strike me that like if I was your friend growing up and like all of a sudden something appeared in that area, I'd be like, Doc, like, can you just call in a Z-Pack real quick? Like, oh, yeah. Know? Oh, we were getting ready to just go study abroad in uh, London and there was like eight of us and we were in college and my dad got us on a conference call basically and was like, all right, guys, here's the deal. Yeah. And he walked us through everything. It was in case of emergency. 
take this, call me on this, do this. He's like, I don't want to hear any of you guys coming back from London, you know, getting girls pregnant or, or having a problem or this or that. And so, it, you know, he walked us through everything. And so, you know, there you are, you and your brother, you got the sec sex expert dad, you're having like a pretty idyllic, like, uh, adolescence. Well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that, but, <laughs> but, but our dad was a sex expert. I don't know about ideal, but yeah. <laughs> so what do you, so you go to college and then do you immediately come out to LA? Uh, went to college. Uh, I was, uh, as a lot of people know, I, I played for Syracuse. I was a kicker. Mm. Uh, and uh, I used to be an All-American soccer player, and I ended up kicking footballs. And I got into every school, which was cool, because I wasn't getting in with my grades, but I got in through the football offices. Graduated Syracuse. Uh, dreams of going to the NFL were uh, not happening, which now looking back and seeing how much a kicker makes in the NFL, I probably made the better move. Um, not not Janikowski. Is that his name? Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, Janikowski. Yeah. yeah, he's like the best kicker ever. Well, yeah, the best in any business is going to make a lot of money. But the average, I think the average for a kicker was 500000 a year about. Josh, let me set you straight right can now. We, can we look it up? You're getting paid to kick. You said for most <laughs> of the game. Granted, all the pressure is on you. It's so funny. My father-in-law, I think I told you, played in the NFL for 10 years. No, what? He, he was a quarterback for the Jets. Oh, he was a real player. Yeah. What was the name? Ken O'Brien. Come on. Yeah, Ken O'Brien. Uh, Ken O'Brien, love him. Wow. And but and what I love about him is that he's so stoic about the game, and like he has no ego about it. He but he loves it. You can tell it deep down inside. But anytime we watch a game and, and a kicker doesn't make, you know, doesn't make the goal, he'll say, uh, he'll say, he gets paid to kick it. Like that's what he gets paid for. <laughs> he like, hate, he hates us. He hates kickers. Everybody on the team, listen, I dealt with it my whole life, my whole college career. It's a kicker. It's like, just go out there and kick it. But if you mess up, it's like all these people on the team work so hard to potentially win. And then you go out there, your your uniform is spotless. Like there was four games. I didn't wash my uniform because I didn't have to. Right. And uh, if you go in out there and you miss – Oh my God, you are so hated. It's the worst. So very easily you are the king of the hill or you are the goat in two seconds. Anyways, long story short, graduated, moved to Manhattan for uh, Murray Hill, 33rd and 3rd. Moved there for uh, a year, year and a half. 9-11 happened. I bounced out to L.A. That 30, was it. 33rd and 3rd. Did you ever go to Jackson Hole for burgers? You know, Of course. Good burgers. I grew up on 35th and Lex. Really? Yeah. That's so funny. So you were right there. So there was pizza 33. Sure. Uh, you could find me any night after 2 a.m. in the morning there, drunk, eating pizza for sure. Growing up before that in the 90s, I think pizza 33 was called Imperial Pizza. Uh, and then there was, yeah, man. I mean, I know that area. That's funny. Yeah, super well. The Dwayne huh. Reed right there. Yes. 34th and 3rd. <laughs> I fucking hate New Yorkers. I hate people like me. Yeah, you ever ask a New Yorker where they're from? You get three fucking answers. It's like 626 10th Avenue, 33rd and 4th, apartment 3B. I'm like, I didn't ask that deep. Like, I'll tell you what you get. I'm from the city. Yeah, from the city. Well, what city? This, uh, the city. Yeah. New York's the best place in the world. So I love the pride that all the New Yorkers have. Um, but I, I got to argue. I think we live in the best place in the world right now. I completely agree. Yeah. It's the best. Why yeah. do you love L.A.? But look, I love putting the top down. I love seeing palm trees, a beautiful, you know, breezy 78 most of the days of the year. Uh, I love dogs, so I like having a yard. Mm. I feel bad for dogs in New York City because they're, like, cramped up in the apartments. And, uh, 
Yeah, you know, the opportunity, especially being an East Coast guy on the West Coast, adds to why I love it the best out here. I think there's, there's, I, I think the hustle is appreciated, the East Coast hustle. And I think it's part of our success is having the mentality. I'll tell you, though, putting the top down on a Rolls Royce nicer than putting the top <laughs> down on a Chrysler Sebring. You know what I mean? Well, it could be a top <laughs> down on anything. It could be windows down. It doesn't have to be a Rolls Royce. That was, yeah. I knew you were gonna, I knew you were going to get me for that one. You've got the key out. It, oh, lo- I- it looks like a pager. <laughs> it's it's massive. Yeah. Do you, do you have a seat? Do you have a seat for this? Yeah, right there. Right, put, hold on, hold on. It looks like its own like it has its own cell phone signal. <laughs> I texted you if it was okay if I brought someone with me. That's that was who I was talking about. It's kind of you. Uh, <laughs> so you get out here and you start working in the mailroom. Yeah, that's it. I was over at the. Uh, the firm, which was music management, mm. uh, I was delivering mail for about, gosh, I want to say a year, uh, maybe a year and a half. And uh, it's funny because I, I was always obsessed with having mentors in my life. And every time I got a paycheck in the mailroom, I would put part of it aside and I would uh, I would use that money to take out the successful music managers that I delivered mail to out to lunch. And I was like, hey, let me just get an hour of your time. I'm buying. Can I please take you out to lunch? And I did. And I would pick their brain during that hour. And it was funny because a lot of the people that I spoke to were all making extra money on the side in real estate while being a music manager. Mm. And I'm like, how the hell can you make money in real estate when you do something else for a living? That's what piqued my interest. Long story short, uh, I, for the next year, I saved every dollar I could. I had five grand. My brother saved every dollar he could for a year. He had five grand. We took that 10 grand. We walked into a bank. We bought a $400,000 condo. 90 days later, we flipped it for 600. So I made 200 grand, put my rollerblades on rollerblade. Cause I didn't have a car at the time. Rollerblade to a Jeep dealership, bought a Jeep through the rollerblades in the back, bought another place. And next thing you know, the rest is history. So uh, when, what year was this? 2003. Because for it to appreciate that much in 90 days, I mean, that was a pretty it was, special time. It was a good market. We bought the place. Every paycheck we got, we did something different to the place. So we got about, you know, 12 paychecks each, mm. weekly paycheck. So one one paycheck, we go to Home Depot, buy a bucket of paint, put on our old football jerseys, paint the place ourselves. Next paycheck, we'd switch out a light fixture. Next paycheck, we'd knock down a wall. We're not talking about major construction here, but- my brother had a really good eye for design, and during that time, I also studied uh, real estate finance to understand how we can buy and use that money and leverage it and everything like that. When you're working at like in the mailroom at the firm, at the firm at the time was like one of the most one of the, I mean, it just wasn't music management; it was film, television. Yeah, it's it so funny. So you knew that, like they represented pony. Shoes and and clothes. Right. They DiCaprio, re- Alec Baldwin. Yes. Who was it? Was it? It wasn't Michael Ovitz, was it? No, it was uh, Yorn. Uh, was it Rick Yorn? Yeah, Rick, Rick Yorn, Yorn, who's still DiCaprio's rap. Yeah, biggest people in the world. And Michael uh, Green, Peter Katzis, a guy named Peter Katzis, major music guy. Uh, it, oh, oh, it was uh, Jeff Quatnitz owned it. Got it. And he was Michael Jackson's guy, and. Uh, yeah, that that it, it it as quick as it exploded successfully, I guess a couple of years later, it, or, or three or four years later, it, it it fell apart, and everybody went their own ways. So it's very high and low. But when you're asking these bigwig 
sort of music managers who you respect out to lunch, are they looking at you like, why is the intern talking to me? Oh, they're like, who am I firing who allowed this kid to talk to me to even ask me to lunch? Right. That that was the point where, and I had learned this from my brother coming up in that business doing the same thing. It was like, you got to take a shot. You may get fired. I mean, my brother worked for Ovitz for a minute. And I remember my brother used to uh, uh, sleep in the office sometimes just on his couch to make sure that he was there first. And like if the mail the mailroom found out about it and was like, you're fired. And then somebody higher up was like, no, actually, we like his work ethic. He got pushed to be an agent right out of the mailroom. Mm. You know, it's a funny world. And I'm not in that world anymore, thankfully, because it's it's a difficult world. Uh, but yeah, no, you got to take shots. But people respect that. The same way where somebody comes into my real estate office and, you know, instead of, hey, I saw you on TV, I want to be rich, you know, which is just bullshit. Uh, they come in and they're like, listen, I will get you coffee. I'll pick up your dry cleaning. I want to work for you for free for a year. I promise you it's the best move you've ever done. I'm going to do this, this, this. And they show the hustle. Like, you, I appreciate that because I did the same thing. You can't follow the rules. I might get in trouble for this one. You can't follow the rules and become successful at the limit at, 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 at how can I say this without sounding like an ass saying don't follow the rules follow the rules but it's okay to take shots it's okay to take chances because if you stay in line yeah you may be able to become successful in line throughout the whole process but if you take a shot that might be your chance to become successful and skip all the bullshit no, I, I I think that's right. And I think for, for, you know, over time, we've sort of rewarded this idea of like being sort of the anti-rules, anti-establishment person. And I'm going to come in in this totally, there's always that great phrase of people going like, yeah, I'm going to drop out of college because, you know, well, Bill Gates dropped out. And they're like, yeah, but Bill Gates dropped out of Harvard. Right, 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 right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't drop out of college. Just simply for the fact that that's the greatest time ever, and you will never get that back again. Yes. Like, don't drop out of college if you don't need to. But I think it's important what what's revealed to me and, and a lot of successful people, it's that the people who do break the rules know them backwards and forwards. Yeah. Like, the people that are comfortable enough to improvise, it's because they know the basics so well yeah. that they can then build upon it instead of just taking random shots hoping that perhaps one gets lucky. I will tell you, though, out of the last 50 people or so that I've hired— never asked them where they went to school. It's so funny. Maybe that's the way that I do it. Mm. It's they're either a hustler or not. And I can tell in a couple minutes. Um, I don't care if they went. People say, if if I went to Harvard, you know, would you hire me? I'm actually more, what weighs more in our business is if you were born here, you're local and who you know, as opposed to where'd you go to school, what's your resume, and this or that. Right. I don't care about any of that stuff because my business is all about connections. Does yeah? Does it? Uh, your business is is like mine in the sense of there's a low barrier of entry. Like my my business, you, you could be an actor tomorrow just because <laughs> you said it. But with you, like the real estate exam is reasonably easy to pass, and then you're a real estate agent. That's it. Does that annoy you? Uh, well, I, seeing that I failed twice. <laughs> no, you didn't. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. Listen. What? I, you didn't study. I'm not kidding. I was a really bad student. I had to take tests on time because, I don't know, there was a lot of stuff wrong with me, right? ADD, ADHD, whatever they call it these days. Um, 
But yeah, I had to take things untimed, so I failed twice. Wow. The third time I passed the real estate exam. Clearly, it doesn't mean anything because I've sold $4 billion worth of real estate now at this point. So for those of you listening, it's okay if you fail. You know what I mean? Just take another shot. And uh, But yeah, the entry-level real estate agent, most people in the world can do it. It's just a matter of who's actually going to separate themselves and become successful. But is there, you can, it sounds like you can track a, a certain level of fearlessness. Wait, why were you so excited that I just failed twice? Well, I, you know, I had your friend Ryan Serhant on the show. <laughs> you and did? He, yeah. And he said, if anyone fails the real estate exam, I'm not fucking hiring you. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. But no, I mean, I like that story. To your point, like, look, you've absolutely, utterly crushed it. And it wasn't like in the most, you know, uh, traditional way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like just tracking you being sort of this low level person at this massive agency and you fearlessly asking these people for an hour of their time for lunch all the way now to you being as successful as you are, it seems like there's been a level of fearlessness in your story that sort of tracked the whole time. Like, where does that come from? Well, it, it comes from, we actually have a saying in our office and we have it uh, lit up in, uh, uh, what's that called? Neon. Neon. We have yeah. a, It's called Ready, Fire, Aim. And I wrote about this in one of my, I think it was the second book I wrote. No, first book I wrote called It's Your Move. And it's Ready, Fire, Aim. And it's a mentality that we and the agents that work for us live by, which is you got to take a shot. You got to see an opportunity when it's in front of you to take that shot. And if you miss, that's okay. It's more about how you bounce back. So all these people live with this motto of, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna take a shot when the time is right. I'm going to make sure I'm aimed perfectly. And then I'm going to go for it. That's not the way to think because by the time you figured out how to aim correctly and 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 take that time, somebody else already did it. Mm. So what I'm saying is when you see an opportunity in front of you, go. Take that shot. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? You're going to get uh, uh you're going to get fired, or you're not going to get the deal, but at least you took the shot. Most people don't take it. So and then afterwards learn from your mistakes. Listen, I've made more mistakes than most people in this business. I mean, you have to because I sell about 150 houses a year times 10 years. It's a lot of houses. And uh, so, of course, there's going to be a lot of mistakes that I do while I learn. But you learn from those experiences. And every mistake I make, every deal is different. You come back a better person, a better agent. Any big mistake top of mind? Uh, unfortunately, because of the volume that we do and the size of the deals, they're all extremely expensive mistakes. What What is a mistake? Oh, I mean... Uh, I mean, I have to really break down a deal, but it's like if you screw up something on a contract or a deal dies because you uh, uh, you said the wrong thing. I mean, on a $10 million house, that's a $250,000 commission that's gone. Mm. Like you don't come out the gates as hot as you're supposed to because the pictures were screwed up or, so, yeah, they put the wrong price on, an, on a marketing material, like little stuff that someone in my office would do. And it's like... You want to strangle that person. Like, you, you just cost me so much money. You don't understand, but it happens. Mm. So mistakes are, are costly and they're big in our business. What What's the one thing that you, like, still to this day, having had all the success that you do, that, like, if you're walking your car at the end of the day, you'll kick yourself for? You know, it, it, the success that we've had in real estate is because we love what we do, mm. right? I've, I used to be a mortgage broker. I used to flip homes a lot, which I still do. So we, we've done the full gamut of real estate, financing it, flipping it, and now, of course, selling it. 
at the end of the day, I would do what I do for free. And any successful people that you talk to, and I'm with the most successful people on the planet. I mean, I have them in the, the, the front seat of my Rolls Royce showing them $50 million houses. And if you can cut a check for a $50 million house, I want to know what you did, how you did it. I want to learn everything you did because you are on a level that most people will never get to. Sure. So I'm with these people also. And you got to love what you do. Because no matter what, there's going to be ups and downs, just like in a real estate market. So you'll be able to weather those storms because every morning you love what you're doing no matter what. It's not about the money. The money will come with the success. But also, you got to be an expert at what you do. you got to take pride in it. When I decided to break into the high-end market and really go after these wealthy people, the one thing that separated me from everybody else was I was an encyclopedia of knowledge when it came to the real estate market that I was in. When you're dealing with a wealthy person, time is money. You get one shot. You screw that up, you are out. It, they'll never get that time back. And for them, private, you know, we were talking about private jets and stuff. At the end of the day, it's a time saver. Absolutely. And when you're at a certain amount of wealth, all you have, the only thing you can't control is time. And so I decided that I was going to be, and at the time it was the best agent in the world in the Hollywood Hills. And so I studied it like no one. I mean, I was on the MLS, which is our system. I, I don't even know how many hours a day I knew every house that was going to hit the market, every house being built, every developer in the area, everything that sold over the past five years. I was an encyclopedia. So when I'm sitting at a restaurant up at the bar drinking water with ice and lemon where people think I'm drinking vodka because I can't afford the vodka, at least when I'm talking to the rich person next to me, they know I'm no joke. Mm. And if they want to know anything real estate, I'm on it like that. And then, of course, over time, your your areas get bigger. And then I became the best in Beverly Hills or or Bel Air or Brentwood, whatever it is. And then, and you know, the snowball effect from there. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting dynamic with real estate agents, especially because I've dealt with the agents who don't look like you and they're more dressed down and there's like this casual nature to them. And like, that's me, right? Like I embrace that. And yet for some reason, when I'm buying something, the making the biggest purchase of my life, I don't want to do it from a dude in a fucking t-shirt. <laughs> I love this guy. You know? Josh Peck, everybody. Hold on. <laughs> Thank you. It's about time. It's about time I get fucking recognized. You know? God. I knew I liked this kid from the beginning. I'm allowed <laughs> to call him a kid because I'm so much older than him. Seriously, it, it's funny because I came out with that East Coast mentality. And when I got on Million Dollar Listing, there was a kid in Malibu, right? In flip-flops. Mm. The other kid was this trust fund kid who wore like Gucci slippers, which now I wear Gucci slippers, but <laughs> at the time. And then there was me and I was like, how am I going to separate myself? Well, I'm that East Coast dude. And, uh, you know, I was told that if you want respect, you show up in a suit. That's how I was brought up. So that's how for the first, you know, eight years or so on the show, I was always in a suit no matter what. Right. Because that was how I separated myself, especially when I was younger. Now, it's funny. It's very important to mirror your client. So if you want to go look at houses down in like Marina Del Rey, you know, maybe I take off the tie, unbutton a button on the shirt because you got to mirror the, the client a little bit. Sure. If, if it's a, a professional surfer or snowboarder, you know. I don't roll up in a suit. I kind of dress down. If it's a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, I'm in the best suit you've ever seen. And I'm business. Car wash, water bottles in the back. I mean, you got to mirror the client. But I agree with you. In our business, you're a billboard for your business. That's it. 
You're a walking billboard. Everything you do reflects on you as a realtor. The car you drive, the suit you wear, the watch you wear, the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you move, where you go, everything. So if you don't take that seriously, why, why the hell would somebody else take you seriously? How much are you trying to think for your client in the respect of like, you know, we're, we're emotional, right? In many cases, the people that are buying the house are emotional. And I feel like what I've noticed in real estate agents who I respect is that they are walking that fine line of saying, listen, this is your house. If it's not right, I'm not going to push you into it. But also you might not know what's best for you. And I'm the one who knows that there's never been a house like this for the last five years. This is the exact house you want. And there probably won't be another one for five years. So pay a little more because it'll benefit you. It's funny. You get to, uh, a place in your career where earlier in the career, you don't do that because mm. you don't really have the guts to do that. You don't have the, 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 the background to sound like you should sound when you say something like that. You got to have the track record. However, you get to a point in your career when you realize, folks, I'm, I'm not saying this to be cocky, but I'm the best at what I do. You got to trust me here. This is not a small game. This is a long game. This is one of many investments we're going to do over the rest of your life. I understand this is the biggest purchase uh, in your life and probably 99.9% .9 of people's biggest investment. You got to trust me here. This is what I do. So you do push it. And it's interesting. People don't know what they want most of the time. They right. think they know. Oh, I want to live in Brentwood uh, and I want to spend this and I want this style. And then next thing you know, you're selling them something in the Hollywood Hills, totally different style. So you got to really feel them out. And sometimes it takes a couple of days or a couple of weeks to understand, wait, they don't even know what they want. Now I'm going to switch into a gear where I'm going to take this over. Mm. And that's what you do. And so you you know, flip the first apartment and what's the ascension look like as far as like from there to when you're really starting to hit a stride in, in real estate? Like two weeks. Just kidding. <laughs> wow. No, I mean, look, we took that money, that 200 grand, we rolled it into a $700,000 condo. We did the same thing, but this time it took six months. We made another couple hundred grand. Then we did another and another. And about 15 deals later, uh, we ended up uh, taking all the money out because we felt like we were the best at what we do. And we went and we bought a giant mansion, my brother and I. And that was one week before the economy collapsed. 2008? To, yeah, mid-2007. Jeez. And uh, so so we were, uh, we were millionaires by the age of 26. And then we were flat broke by the age of 26 and a half. Well, but all your money in this house, it's now fell what? I mean, how much did the house cost? And we sold for, it was about almost $4 million. It sold for about half price. And that was the like $2 million or so dollars that uh, we had in cash that we were so confident we put it into this house. And it was gone. So it, very quickly, we went from that mansion to, you know, not that there's anything wrong with a duplex, but there is when you live in a mansion. Sure. Uh, and uh, we went back to there, started from zero, and, th and that was that. So there's a lot of highs and lows, a lot of learning experience. Thank God I was just a single guy at that time. I don't have kids like I do now because there'll be a lot more pressure, mm. but I'll never forget that learning experience. And I'm a lot more careful now when it comes to money. And, and I think things through a lot, you know, a lot better than I probably used to. How long does it take to recover from a loss like that? Uh, a few years, for sure. And, and emotionally, too? Like, are you like— A year. I was knocked out for a year. What did you do? Just oh, rollerbladed? I mean, 
Uh, to be honest with you, it was it was it was tough. I uh, I didn't even talk about this for a long time, but I got I got really depressed. Mm. You know, I from the little time we've known each other. You know, I, you know, I go the, I go to the gym every morning. I work out, good high energy, every this and that. Like, I didn't get out of bed for a year. I lied to all my friends that I was successful because I was too embarrassed that I wasn't successful anymore. Screwed up every relationship. I mean, it was a dark time for me. Yeah, and uh, eventually, it took about a year to to get out of that. And it took a lot of other failed potential businesses that I started that I also failed in to get back out of that. So I kept on trying to dig myself out. Eventually, we ended up going the route of becoming a real estate agent in 2008 uh, because one of my mentors, which I always talk about, one of my mentors said, you know, stop doing the try to get rich quick thing. You know, that's not what it's about. What do you guys love? And and, and it's funny because Matt and I, when we were broke, we used to drive around on Sundays and look at open houses. That was our favorite thing to do during the week. That was it, right? And uh, we told our, our guy that we were sitting with, our mentor, and he's like, well, you guys should become real estate agents. Clearly, you love doing that. Do that. And, you know, eventually you'll be successful. And that's what we did. In the first six months, I sold nothing. You know, tip everybody is like, oh, you must have been a rock star right away. No, I sold nothing. I finally, after six months, did one deal. It was $1.6 million piece of land. And uh, the next year, I got a little better, started reaching out to everybody in my sphere. You know, all my friends, my parents, friends, and everybody just, I, I literally had a sign on me on my forehead saying, I'm a realtor. I told everyone in the world what I do. And I did three deals the next year. And then the next year after that, I sold, you know, like 50 million, then 100 million, then 200 million. Then we sell about 500 million a year now. But it wasn't overnight either time. Uh, and, you know, you got to go through the process. Is there anything to that you can really pinpoint to say, like, a lot of real estate agents are good at this, this, and this. No one's as good at this as I am. I'm an animal. I'm an aggressive, aggressive animal. Nobody fights for their client's money better than I do. I will fight for every penny and I treat my client's money like I treat my own. Nobody does that better than me. Yeah. It's, this is a game of chess. You are playing Bobby Fischer and I will fuck you up. <laughs> But what what part of it is chess? The all of it from day one. There is an entire process, and you you have to think outside the box. You have to be two steps ahead of everybody else. I mean, that's really what separates me. Is I I, I don't sleep at night. I'm going through the deal fifteen different ways to figure out a way where I'm going to win for my client. Mm. That's what it is. Is there, you know, because like the things that I've looked at are not exactly on the $50 million <laughs> level. <laughs> We're talking about like a, and let's just assume for most people, right, it's like a million dollar or less property. Right. And so the swing and the win is not like what we see on on the show, which is like, it was listed at 15, but we got it at 13.5. Like we saved a million and a half. We're the best, right? Yeah. It's an $800,000 house. And if maybe you get it for 750, that was a big win. Yeah, I mean that by the way, that 50 or 20 or 15 grand means just as much if not more to those people. So when I sell an $800,000 condo, which people are like, "Oh, you sell that too?" I was like, "Yeah, we sell everything." When I sell an $800,000 condo, I'm fighting for 7,000 bucks because I know that that 7 is going to make a huge difference to my client. Right. It's the difference of being pre-qualified or not pre-qualified. But when they see me do that, yeah, not everything we, you know, sell is $20 million and we understand that. 
When I do something like that, I have a client for life when I save them seven grand because right. they're going to come back when they're ready to sell. It's just as important as a, as a field goal kicker, right? An ex-field goal kicker, you always kick the ball the same if it's a 50-yard field goal or an extra point. It's the same on every deal. I don't care if it's an $800,000 deal or an $80 million deal. I'm going to fight and I'm going to fight for every penny. And sometimes I will fight even harder for someone on an $800,000 deal because those, every dollar counts. A pooch kick is a little different though. <laughs> do you ever have to do one of those? Yeah. yeah. Very on, special. Onside kicks, you know. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you get to wear different shoes in the rest? Did you wear soccer cleats? I had a, uh, I had, of course, the one shoe on my, uh, on my left, which was my, my, my foot that does not kick, which is what everybody else on the team was wearing. Mm. And then I had a, a Samba, you know, the Sambas? Sure. The soccer Sambas, that was my go-to. Uh, for on my right foot. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are people fucking up? What annoys you most about people who are about to buy or sell a house? Well, look, I, I think that you should spend the time, if you're going to buy a house, you should spend the time researching yourself to really understand what you want. Mm. Uh, because that way, that will make our job a lot easier and we'd be a lot more effective if we know exactly what you want. You've done some market research yourself. Understandably, I know a lot of people don't have time to do that, so that's cool. What is cool is that now with all of these different uh, apps out there and websites, you're able almost to find houses without me, except you want me to negotiate that deal. Because the fact is where you might be able to see, oh, well, I know because of Zillow, I know what other houses I want to see right now. What you don't know is that house is on the wrong side of the street. They're about to knock the house down uh, next door, which you wouldn't know because I represent the developers. So you're going to be living next to a construction site for two years. That's where the expertise comes in. Mm. You know, what we're doing, it's not rocket science. But if you're the best of the best, you're going to know all of those things. But what do you like? Uh, are there any things where you're taking someone down a deal and they bail and it just kills you for like certain, you know, are people overly emotional? Is there is there a blind spot for most people where you're like, you are letting this sabotage what is best for you? Yeah, I over mean, like yeah, pricing so, too high. So like I've seen deals, uh, I've seen deals fall apart over couches, like a $3 million house, egos got involved. They wanted them to leave the couch in the living room. They said, screw off. We're not leaving this couch. And next thing you know, the deal's dead. And I'm like, what, what is wrong with you? So uh, a lot of times, by the way, I've bought more couches and washers and dryers than anyone on the planet. Yeah. When I'm, do you do that? When do you give up some of your commission to make sure the deal goes through? Well, I, you know, uh, not, not often unless it's it, – at the end of the day, I do what's best for my client. And so if it means I got to throw in a couple bucks for a washer or dryer to make sure the deal doesn't die, of course, it's worth my time to do that as opposed to doing another deal and starting from zero again. But, you know, you get what you pay for. You go in for a heart surgery. You don't, uh, you know, meet with the doctors and decide to go with the cheapest. You go with the best. So you're going to get what you pay for. But also what I'm seeing is, uh, you know, in, in – Kids coming out of college that want to be in real estate and they see all these shows, right? Million Dollar Listing or any of these other shows. And uh, they go, oh, that's great. I love it. I want to be rich because uh, I like the car that Josh drives or something like that. And then I get emails. I get 1,000 emails a week of people who want to come work for us. And it's like 900 of them are, hey, I, I, I want to work for you because I want to be rich and I want to work in Beverly Hills and this and that. I'm like... You have one opportunity to email me, right? And that's what you're emailing me? Like, out of everything in the world, you just want to do what I do because you want to be rich? 
Like, what are you talking about? And so it's disappointing seeing how lazy the next generation is coming out of school. I get emails sometimes, like randomly, I'll have a business email that goes to my management and whatnot, but I have access to it too. So I'll look at times and people will be like, hey, can you help me get into modeling? I'm a a model and and I want to start a modeling career. And they won't attach their photos. (laughs) I'm like, are you a fucking idiot? I'm like, where's the photos? <laughs> like, uh, it kills me. And like, they're like, don't worry. Like, I've got the photos. If you if you email me back, I'm like, oh, I need to do another step yeah, with you. Yeah, yeah. Like, wouldn't you hope that I would be like, oh my god, you are so striking looking. I must represent yeah, you yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Do you do that? Because I'm I'm actually looking for some modeling gigs. Only for he, uh, Hebrew schools. Oh. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm the poster child for that. It's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I'll send you through my bar mitzvah picture. <laughs> so how many people do you have work for you now? Uh, I got about, we're, all in all, we're, we're about 20 people. So what's that like, right? Because you go from, and this is an interesting thing, and it's in a lot of different businesses. And I always go, I always talk about it when you go from the the writer to the showrunner role, right? So, you know, in theory, you're you're a, a lieutenant, but inevitably you're not a mover of people, but you're very good at what you do. And then you get elevated to the showrunner job, which is like the big, exciting job. But now you're in charge of people. Yeah. What's that like? Yeah, now you're managing people. So uh, half of my day, is managing the other, you know, 18 agents. Uh, you got you to gotta have a, a specific type of personality to be uh, successful at that. You got to want to be in that position. So I know people who have teams underneath them that don't manage at all because they just don't like it and they can't do it. Uh, but I'd like doing it. I think everybody who works for me is, is one of a kind and has the potential to be huge which is why they work for me, which is why we go through a process finding the right people. So I find that it's worth the time to put in because my agents, pound for pound, I think we're the best team on the planet, period. And I'll put them up against anybody. So if they need my help closing deals, good, let's do it. Because at the, you know, I also make money off of them. Right. Yeah. Is there, you know, now you have like a, f- a family and two kids and the whole thing. And I would imagine that's a level of balancing, especially with as obsessed as you are with your work and were prior to that. But is there a level of like, uh, like kids got a soccer game, but I really got to close this deal. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely a balance and it's definitely unbalanced right now. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit on this uh, podcast and, and, Oh, it's perfect. I have two kids. And now I, I know the meaning of life and it's easy. It's impossible. Yeah. Impossible running a successful business and being as good as father as I can be. My wife and I struggle with that. It's, it's she works, she runs my office with me. So it's tough. We're in a 24-7 job. It's a lifestyle job. So there's a lot of things we miss, but we do our best to be everywhere. Good news is, is these days, all I need is a cell phone and I can close as many deals anywhere in the world that I want. Uh, but you know, it's 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 definitely a balance. But you have to pick out certain times. Like for the last decade, I never shut off my phone. I always picked up no matter what. But now that I have two kids, like I'll pick out a time from six to seven. Six fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's six to seven every night. I don't answer my cell phone. Mm. And it's because that's the moment. Because even though it's not a lot of time being with my kids every day, they get 110% of me for that hour. And it's so valuable. And I will say, you know, 
having my daughter hug me and tell me she loves me is the greatest experience in the world. It's way better than closing a $100 million deal. It's not even close. You realize that it's not all about the money. Trust me, I used to be the flashiest guy in town, but it's not about that. There's so much deeper stuff. And what's interesting is my clients have come to respect me more mm. now that I have kids. And they actually, when I say, hey, I got to call you back, it's bath time for my kid. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I called you. Call me back. No big deal. We'll talk later on. Before it was like, where are you? Why didn't you pick up the phone? What are you doing? It's it's almost switched. Right. It's crazy. So like, if you don't have kids, just hire them. <laughs> yeah. Just get someone pregnant. So what's a, what's a normal day look like for you? Uh now it's it, since I, you know, since I've had kids, you got to kind of figure out your day a lot, <laughs> a lot uh, down to the minute better than it used to be. So I'm up at like 530, hit the gym for an hour, work out, get that done. My kids get up. Uh, I try to take my daughter to school every day as much as possible. Uh, that's like our moment in the morning when we're together and we have some quality time, drop her off, head to the office. Uh, you know, I'm on showings. I'm showing 10 houses a day uh, on average. Uh, open houses, uh, you know, then I deal with some other stuff like endorsement deals for real estate stuff, uh, speaking engagements, you know, once, so once every 10 days, I'm in another city speaking, but in and out, like fly in, drive from the airport to the venue, speak, drive back to the airport, come back. Back in the day when I was single, it was, you know, I'd stay another day in the city or something just cause I didn't have to rush back for the kids. Um, but uh, yeah, otherwise it's wheeling and dealing all day and it doesn't stop. Like I'm negotiating, I'll, I'll be negotiating deals tonight till 11 o'clock. I mean, it just, it is what it is, but I like it. It keeps me going. Like I have friends that, you know, we'll go out to dinner and my phone will ring and I'll walk out and my wife and the other couple will be sitting at the table. They, they know I'm not fucking coming back. Yeah. They, oh, Josh. Oh, geez. Josh. He's not coming back and, and they don't care. Like they get it. It's not rude. They understand what they're working with. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it's great for the relationship. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you're lucky. Your wife's in the bit, so she gets it. Yeah. Like, yeah. my my wife is is incredible, and she understands, you know, the demands of just that it's not a nine to five, you know, my work. And so sometimes I throw her curveballs, but then there are other times where she was like, if you look at that fucking phone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's funny. So since we've gotten to know each other, I don't, so there are very few people that have been on camera longer than I have. So I, I like so we're season twelve. We just wrapped, right? Right. So that's twelve years, ten months a year of filming. I don't know Seinfeld, Friends, like not many shows make it twelve years. You not only were a child star, but then now you're always on camera. I mean, I watch you on Instagram; it's constant. Sure. So I feel like me and you have kind of like we have something in common with that, where it's nonstop, and it's almost become it. It not almost become it is life. Running from our feelings. That's what we <laughs> um, Okay, last question before the last question. What's, you know, you're working with people like, you know, billionaires with a B, excessively rich people. Is there one thing about people like that that fucking turn you off? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the wealthier they are, the cheaper they are. Right. 100%. It's like they'll fight over a $1,000 escrow fee while they're on their way to their global express plane that they're flying nonstop to Europe, which is, you know, a hundred thousand in gas. Of course. Right. So that that's crazy to me. Yeah. Like when I'm that, when I'm on that level, 
I'm going to be the coolest dude ever. Like, let me tell you something. When I go shopping, we all go shopping. Yeah. When I go flying on the jet, we're all flying. Like, that's that's what I've always been. So it, it annoys me when someone has it and they're just not fun with it. I can't wait till I can tip 50%. <laughs> like, I want to be at the Cheesecake Factory and look at Donna and be like, Donna, thank you for the extra brown bread. Well, you have no choice yeah. because oh. people know you. So They know you, too. Do you get Do you get nervous sometimes when you're tipping that, like, you know— God, this waiter was so bad. But if I give 10% instead of 20, because I give 20. Sure. They're going to tell somebody next thing you know, Josh Altman, didn't. T he's not a tipper. Are they going to send it to TMZ or something? You have no choice, even if the service is bad. And I'm a service guy. You get paid for how good you are. Right. No, I, I'm, I'll tell you in full transparency, once some person DM'd me, because this was literally our exchange. I went to a restaurant to pick up food that was ordered to go. Right. The food was there. No one handed it to me. There was no service involved. Right. I was the waiter. Right. So you don't tip. So you don't tip. I just signed the bill. I walked out. Someone wrote me. They go, I'm going to go public with the fact that you didn't tip me. <laughs> I'm like, you fuck. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then now I just give, you know, like, I don't know, a couple bucks. Just yeah, to, you it, have to. It's not yeah. worth the worry. It's the it's the price of doing business. Because the last thing you want to be known is that's cheap. That's the worst. Um, okay, last question. I ask everyone on the podcast this. What are your one or two Josh Altman commandments? Truths that you've discovered that you'd want to impress upon someone else? Wow, that's that's a deep question to ask. Welcome to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think what we spoke about uh, ready fire aim. Mm. That's number one. Be you know be one hundred and ten percent so you can recognize an opportunity when it's in front of you. If you miss, that's okay. Just make sure you take the shot. And then of course, worst comes to worst, you can always pick yourself back up and bounce back strong. That's number one, ready, fire, aim. Not ready, aim, fire, ready, fire, aim. That's number one. The second commandment is uh, uh, treat everybody with respect. In my business, you never know where your next deal is going to come from. And I could be sitting at a restaurant and there's somebody next to me in ripped jeans and flip-flops and they could have just sold their company for a billion dollars and you have no idea. Don't judge people because you never know where your next deal is going to come from. Even if it's another realtor who you hate, just deal with it. Love it. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah. What a fucking interview. No, come on, guys. Listen, we're not playing around here. This might be a mid-tier podcast at best. Sure, I was never on The Office, and I'm not watching old episodes of it talking about it. And no, my name's not Dak Shepard, but I'm still a good person trying to make a podcast that people listen to because I'm fucking curious. <laughs> I'm curious, and I want to, I just love chopping it up with someone who I am impressed by or look up to, to get inside, to find out more about them. And that's my truth. That's my commandment is stay curious. Whew. Wow. Well, take that into your work week, right? Mm, that was good. I felt great about it. All right, y'all. God bless. See you next week. Bye-bye.